0: The Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast depends on your generous support. A lot of work and time and energy and effort goes into these podcasts. So if you enjoy what you hear and want to hear more podcasts and would like to see this project continue in the future, please consider a donation at org. There's a donation button to the right-hand side where you can click through PayPal and donate whatever you would like. Every little bit helps. Thanks, and we appreciate you listening and supporting the feminist Mormon housewives podcast. One, two, three, go. Feminist Mormon housewives. Feminist. Hello, and welcome back Mormon. to another episode of the feminist Mormon housewives Housewife. podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and we are returning for another segment in what is going to be a long year of polygamy for our year of polygamy series. And I'm so excited to do this episode because there's so many interesting things going on. Now, we're breaking with the chronology of Joseph Smith's Wives for a moment, just for this episode, because about the time that Mary Rollins comes in, which was our last episode, episode number nine, We have a lot of things going on in Nauvoo. So I'm going to set the stage for that. We're going to talk a little bit more about Nauvoo polygamy after we finish with all of Joseph's Wives. This is going to be a podcast that kind of covers the chronology of what is going on while he is marrying these women. I think it's important to know the context of polygamy, not just as individual stories go, but as a whole, if that is even possible. So it's you, me, and my trustee diet coke and hopefully we can get through this so now remember here's here's an important aspect of the story that you're not going to hear if we just highlight the wives so fanny alger came around in the early 1830s and the polygamy revelation doesn't come out till years later dnc 132 so many scholars, including traditional LDS scholars, believe that Joseph had word of the doctrine of plural marriage long before he actually started marrying women. There there is evidence suggested in Mary Rollins' story where she claims she was told she was a first polygamous wife when she was sixteen and later married him when she was older. And there is also an interesting interesting doctrine about plural marriage as it was in regards to the Lamanites. And the Lamanites, of course, were thought to be the Native Americans at the time. So in July of 1831, so we backed up. Mary Rollins gets married in the 40s. Now we're back in the 30s. In 1831, after Joseph Smith Jr. and others arrive in Jackson County, Missouri, Joseph was already making plans to preach to the Native Americans. He had done it before, and he was going to do it again. He received a directive on intermarriage with the Indians, uh according to William W. Phelps, he says that Joseph gave this revelation, and w W. Phelps eventually writes this this um evidently from memory, this whole revelation that Joseph gave. so you can read the whole uh, revelation online according to his word, but he goes in to say that that Joseph has this whole revelation that says that we need to marry. The Lamanites, it's part of our directive. So I'm going to tell you some of the things that W.W. That Phelps says. He says, about three years after this was given, I asked Brother Joseph privately how we that were mentioned in the Revelation could take wives from the natives as we were all married men. He replied instantly in the same manner that Abraham took Hagar and Keturah. And Jacob took Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah by revelation. The saints of the Lord are always directed by revelation. So while the text of the revelation was not written in July 1831... Intermarriage was supposedly discussed in 1831. Four months later, Ezra Booth wrote, In addition to this, and to cooperate with it, it has been made known by revelation that it will be pleasing to the Lord should they form a matrimonial alliance with the natives, and by this means the elders who comply with the things so pleasing to the Lord, for which the Lord has promised to bless those who do it abundantly, gain a residence in the Indian Territory independent of the agent." Later on, Phelps would include a copy of this revelation to a letter to the LDS church president at the time, Brigham Young, and commenting on the letter to Young, David J. Whitaker wrote, several things are apparent. While the Book of Mormon strongly teaches that God removes the curse of dark skin, this document implies that intermarriage canned. So the idea was that the gospel was going to eventually lighten the skin of the Lamanites, right? And so Joseph, possibly saw this as a literal thing and we know that the subsequent prophets after like i think it's kimball who makes those quotes about you know the shades of their skin getting lighter they believe that if we, they intermarried this was how it was going to happen so that was one of the things going on at the time it failed i i don't know of hardly any successful marriages where they took um, native american women but it's important context because this this doctrine is going to hang around in the Utah period a little bit later on. So that will come into play later on down the road. We do know that Joseph wasn't the only one marrying women in Nauvoo. So let's now fast forward again to the 1842. Brigham Young is one of the first said to practice the principle. He is supposed to, I think... In January twenty fifth of eighteen forty two, he approaches a woman named Martha Brotherton. She she goes through this whole cat and mouse sort of game. So they approach her. She has Joseph kind of prepper. Joseph brings her into her room and says, Hey oh no, I think he takes her on a walk. He takes her for a walk and he's like, Hey, are you are you happy to be a member of the church? And she's like, Yeah, this is great. I really love the church. He's like, Oh, do you sustain me as a prophet? She's like, Yeah, I really do. I really sustain you as a prophet. He's like, "Would you do anything I asked you to do?" Oh yeah, of course I would. He's like, "Okay, cool, cool." So they they you know move on, and then you know she's met with Heber, and he's kind of priming her. So then what happens is she goes into her room later on. They bring her into Joseph Smith's private office, and all it's Brigham Young now, Joseph Smith, and Heber C. Kimball, and they're like, "Hey, remember the time when you told me that you really valued the church and you'd follow the prophet?" She's like, "Yeah." They said, okay, well, we have something we want you to do. Here's Brigham Young, and uh, here's a doctrine of plural marriage, and we want you to marry him. And she's like, uh, I don't know about this. They're like, no, 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 trust us. We're, you know, we're men of God. And so I can't remember the exact details. She talks about it in John Bennett's expose, but they kind of go in and out of the room. They leave her alone, they lock the door. She reports that Brigham Young said, Were it lawful and right, could you accept me for your husband and companion? Brother Joseph has had a revelation from God that is lawful and right for a man to have two wives. For as it was in the days of Abraham, so shall it be in these last days. If you will accept of me, I will take you straight to the celestial kingdom. Brigham then leaves the room and returns ten minutes later with Joseph. Joseph. Joseph says, just go ahead and do as Brigham wants you to do. Martha would report that Smith said, I know this is lawful and right. I have the keys of the kingdom, and whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Martha writes that she begged for time to consider. She was very conflicted about this. And she didn't appreciate this going in and out of the room. And I think, if I remember the story right, Brigham makes her kiss him before he leaves the room. Because now they start to get worried, because she's getting hesitant. She's like, I don't know about this. And so they they do all this, you know, leave the room, lock the door, come in. And then Brigham's like, you're not going to tell anyone, are you? And she's like, no, I'm not going to tell anyone. He's like, okay, well, will you at least give me a kiss? She's like, okay, I'll give you a kiss. So the thing I love about this kind of terrible story is that right after that happens, Martha feels really abused. I think she leaves the house, goes straight to her sisters, and like it within a few days she publishes her story she publishes it on July 15th 1842 in the St. Louis Bulletin so right after it happened so that was one of the things that was happened and I <laughs> This is this is the cynical side of me but because Brigham was so arrogant later on in, in the Utah period that every woman wanted him and that he would, you know, love to see young men who could compete with him. I love the story of Brigham Young being turned down and turned down, you know, so so publicly by a woman. I think that's kind of kind of uh, sweet validation for me. And if I remember right, Later on, Brigham Young, out of his pride or spiritual directive or whatever you want to say, he seals himself to this woman later on, even though she's not there, not in Utah. So anyway, um, so that happened. In July, But previous to that, in May, May 4th of 1842, Joseph introduced the temple endowment to seven men at a meeting in the room over his store in Nauvoo. So they don't have a temple yet. They don't have an endowment house. So they're using the meeting room over the store in Nauvoo for their endowment house, for these secret meetings, these Masonic meetings, the Relief Society, all these things. Now, baptisms for the dead has already been introduced in the fall of 1841 to 42. A few others received their endowment before the completion of the temple, but at this time, the endowment ceremony is only for men so it 's only for this secret circle of men, and it 's only seven seven people so Leonard Arrington, who was uh, a church like the church 's historian for a long time. Notes in his biography of Brigham Young, uh, called American Moses, quote, A third preparatory ordinance or ceremony introduced privately to the Twelve shortly after baptism for the dead and plural marriage was, quote, the full endowment. There had been washings and anointings in the Kirtland Temple, but the full endowment, as introduced in the spring of 1842, was a sacred ceremony in which participants observed a series of dramatic renderings of episodes that illuminate the plan of Christian life and salvation. Brigham noted in his journal on May 4, 1842, that he, Heber Kimball, and Willard Richards met with Joseph and Hiram Smith. Joseph, quote, taught the ancient order of things for the first time in the last days, and I received my washings, anointings, and endowments, and gave us instructions on, capital P, priesthood, and the new and everlasting covenant. Brigham would also be sealed to his parents, his current children, and a number of young men known as spiritual sons. This was a practice that happened a lot in the early days of the church. The sealing practices weren't interpreted the way they are now, and men could be sealed to other men as spiritual sons and fathers. So that happens in their first meeting. These men were then expected to introduce these new practices to other members of the Twelve. The following day, On May 5th, Smith would initiate nine men into the secret quorum of the anointed. Smith organizes the quorum of the anointed or the holy order of the priesthood and initiates these nine men into what would later be called the temple endowment. He excludes his first counselor, Rigdon, um, Sidney Rigdon. And again, remember, women do not participate until, you know, September of 1843, so a, a long time after. So, the, you know, the endowment happens May 5th. At the end of May, May 29th, three women testified that Assistant President John C. Bennett and Apostle William Smith taught them that Smith approved of, quote, spiritual wifery, and that, that was said to be John Bennett's term, spiritual wifery. I love it. Wherein several men have sexual relations with the same woman. So what John C. Bennett was doing is he was he was taking whatever this practices and we don't know exactly we don't trust exactly how it came into practice with john c bennett but he was taking it and going into other towns and saying hey it's cool you can sleep with me it's of god and so women start reporting it because he's harassing them he's being quite more open about it i would say than other men and so the women margaret and matilda nyman and Catherine fuller warren go and testify that he's doing this the report of the Nyman sisters were later printed in the May twenty ninth, eighteen forty four, Nauvoo Neighbor. The sisters said that Elder Chauncey Higby had advised them that Joseph Smith had approved of this spiritual wifery, but gave instructions to keep the matter secret because there was no sin where there is no accuser. Catherine Fuller Warren, in her May twentieth, eighteen forty two, testimony responded to charges of unchaste quote unchaste and unvirtuous conduct with Chauncey Bennett and others by admitting not only to having sex with him, but with Chauncey Higby and the prophet's younger brother, Apostle William Smith. Speaking in her defense, however, she insisted that these men had taught the doctrine that it was right to have free intercourse with women and that the heads of the church also taught and practiced in which things caused her to be led away, thinking it to be right. So this, this woman's whole you know sexual history gets on display for this trial because she is saying, these three men came to me and said it's of God. So if that story is to be believed, and I would say considering the other um, things happening at the time, it's not unlikely. I really feel bad because she's a victim of this failed practice. It didn't work. And because she didn't, she didn't have a man approach her that was of such status that his status would be protected, she was kind of thrown under the bus, unfortunately. That summer, John C. Bennett, starting to get into trouble, he had been the mayor of Nauvoo and, and had become appointed the general in the legion, begins to accrue all of this controversy. So Joseph Smith jumps on the the bandwagon, and to take away the the smoke from him, he accuses John C. Bennett of attempting to seduce several Nauvoo women under the guise of polygamy. Now, this makes Bennett furious, because he was Joseph's close confidant, but uh, there's said to be a huge power struggle between the two. So he... Uh, becomes excommunicated and he would begin a lecture circuit against the Mormons and publish articles and books. Um, one of the biggest and most popular first anti-Mormon books was an expose that was wildly popular and it was called The History of the Saints or an expose of Joe Smith and Mormonism. And I've actually held one of the original copies uh, in print. It's it's really cool. So this expose is important because it comes out on the eve of the statewide elections. And both governor candidates you know are already troubled by the Mormons, so they call for the repeal of the Nauvoo cha- Charter because now Nauvoo is becoming one of the biggest cities in illinois it 's rivaling Chicago, and Joseph Smith is gaining a lot of power really fast. He would eventually you know run for president very shortly so these These people are saying too much power, so they use this expose as proof that things are not well in Nauvoo in that same May of eighteen forty two An attempt had been made to murder Liburn W. Boggs, the governor, and he was the one that that, uh, led the drive to exterminate the Mormons in the state. So it was widely believed, and it's still controversial today, that the assassination attempt was ordered by Joseph Smith because Porter Rockwell was suspected of being the one who attempted his life who tried to attempt to kill him. And Porter Rockwell was the personal bodyguard and very loyal friend of Joseph Smith. Even Leonard Arrington, church historian, concludes that there was circumstantial evidence to back it up, um, even though Joseph Smith and Rockwell deny trying to kill the governor. So you have to remember that even though the governor had done some terrible things to the Mormons, it wasn't completely one-sided. He felt threatened for his own life. So the Exposé feeds these accusations and just gives people more political power and more political platform. There's all this already this idea that Mormons were murderers because, you know, Mormons weren't just victims of the mobs, but they did some of their own stuff too. They would go out and ransack some of the houses and burn some fields, try to steal some resources, and they were accruing power. Uh, They were seeking political domination, and they were doing what a lot of people thought immoral with all these rumors of polygamy. So this expose really is important because it, it really speeds things up in this way. To counter these accusations, Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, George Albert Smith, and Amasa Lyman are all sent out on missions to Illinois to places that Bennett had spoken to try to counter his campaign. Brigham Young wrote in his journal several times about this, but for example, one time he said, quote, Elder Kim- Elders Kimball Smith, Lyman, and myself held a conference. We exposed the course of Bennett and the mobocrats and disabused the public mind to some extent of the prejudices recently imbibed. Governor Thomas Carlin attended one meeting. End quote. So they go out, they're trying to undo all the damage that John C. Bennett is doing. On June 14th, 1842, the first... Fully dated plural marriage performed by Smith occurs for Brigham Young. So he gets, you know, rebuffed by Martha Brotherton. But in June, he seeks out Lucy Decker Seeley and she decides to marry him. Now, Brigham Young had already been married, lost his wife, and remarried. So this would be his. I guess, third wife or his first plural wife. So while the first marriage of Brigham is actually did in 1842, it is largely believed that Smith had already been introducing this since the early 40s. And Brigham Young, although became a huge advocate of plural marriage later on in life, he he writes later on, that he really struggled with it. He wrote, Quote, Some of these some of these my brethren know what my feelings were at the time Joseph revealed the doctrine. I was not desirous of shrinking from any duty, nor of failing in the least to do as I was commanded, but it was the first time in my life that I had desired the grave, and I could hardly get over it for a long time. And when I saw a funeral, I felt to envy the corpse its situation and to regret that I was not in the coffin knowing the toil and labor that my body would have to undergo and I have to had to examine myself from that day to this and watch my faith and carefully meditate lest I should be found desiring the grave more than I ought to do End quote it is said that other men and their wives felt the same at the time so I'm going to tell you um, some of the Abrahamic sacrifices. Now this is like a juicy thing that critics of the church always use. They, they like these stories because they are sort of juicy stories. So Brigham Young wasn't the only one that was turned down. Joseph Smith was said to be turned down by several women as well. In John Mills Whitaker's journal, November 1st of 1890 quote, the prophet went to the home of president Taylor and said to him, brother, John, I want Lenora Taylor was stunned, but after walking the floor all night, the obedient elder said to Smith, if God wants Lenora, he can have her. Woodruff concluded, that was all the prophet was after, to see where President Taylor stood in the matter and said to him, Brother Taylor, I don't want your wife. I just wanted to know where you stood. End quote. So that's John Mills Whitaker quoting Prophet Wilford Woodruff telling the story about John Taylor's wife. So Joseph Smith would do this again. The most famous story is Heber C. Kimball's wife, Velate. During the summer of 1840, 1841, shortly after Heber's return from England, he was introduced... Sorry, okay, so this is from the biography of Heber C. Kimball by Stanley B. Kimball on page 93. During the summer of 1841, shortly... Quote, During the summer of 1841, shortly after Heber's return from England, he was introduced to the doctrine of plural marriage directly through a starting test of sacrifice, which shook his very being and challenged his faith to the ultimate. He had already sacrificed homes, possessions, friends, relatives, all worldly rewards, peace and tranquillity, tranquillity for the restoration. Nothing was left to place on the altar save his life, his children, and his wife. Joseph demanded for himself what to Heber was the unthinkable, his volate. Totally crushed and spiritually and emotionally, Heber touched neither food nor water for three days and three nights and continually sought confirmation and comfort from God. Finally, after some kind of assurance, Heber took Velate to the upper room of Joseph's store on Water Street. The prophet, the prophet wept at this act of faith, devotion, and obedience. Joseph had never intended to take velati It was all a test. So we do know of two instances where Joseph approached his apostles and said, hey, I hate to tell you this, but the Lord has asked me to marry your wife. And they were like, oh, gosh, Joseph, I don't know if I can do this. And he was like, well, you know, think about it and give me your answer. So they both agonize over this. And they finally both say, okay, Joseph, we've decided that you can do it. Go ahead and, you know, marry my wife. And Joseph's like, no, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to see where you were standing. You know, it was all a test, just like Abraham was tested by God. And later on, Heber C. Kimball would have to go through this again um, when they gave their 14-year-old daughter, Helen Martin. We'll talk about that when that comes up again. In July of 1842, as these men start to be introduced to the practice, Joseph finally comes up with a concrete revelation. Prior to his marriage to Newell Whitney's 17-year-old daughter, Sarah Ann Whitney, which we'll be talking about, Joseph Smith received and records a revelation on polygamy, which remains in the LDS Church archives. Although recorded in the official Revelation book of the time, the Revelation was not canonized as Scripture. So it didn't become Scripture till way later in the DNC, like way after the saints had come to Utah. It's interesting, the Community of Christ, the RLDS, does not have DNC 132 in their, in their Scriptures because it wasn't put in the Scriptures until years later. In this revelation, the Lord reveals a plural marriage ceremony, which would later be altered and become the sealing ceremony in the temple. And you can look at copies of the archives in the historical department in the Salt Lake City Church History Library. I'll I'll just read some of it to you. It says, Verily, thus saith the Lord unto my servant Newell K. Whitney, the thing that my servant Joseph Smith has made known unto you and your family, his meaning his plural marriage to Sarah and Whitney and which you have agreed upon is right in mine eyes and shall be re- rewarded upon your heads with honor and immortality and eternal life to all your house, both old and young because of the lineage of my priesthood, saith the Lord, it shall be upon you and your children and from generation to generation by virtue of the Holy promise, which I now make unto you, saith the Lord. These are the words which you shall pronounce upon my servant, Joseph and your daughter, Sarah and Whitney. They shall take each other by the hand, and you shall say, You both mutually agree, calling them by name, to be each other's companions so long as you both shall live, preserving yourselves for each other and from all others, and also throughout all eternity, reserving only those rights which have been given to my servant Joseph by revelation and commandment and by legal authority in times past. If you both agree to covenant and do this, then I give you, Sarah Ann Whitney, my daughter, to Joseph Smith to be his wife, to observe all the rights between you that belong to that condition. I do it in my own name and in the name of my wife your mother and in the name of the holy progenitors by the right of birth which is a priesthood vested in me by revelation and commandment and promise of the living God obtained by the holy Melchizedek Jethro and other of the holy fathers commanding in the name of the lord all those powers to consecrate in you and through the posterity forever all these things i do in the name of the lord jesus christ and through his order may he be glorified and that through the power of the anointing david may reign king over israel which shall hereafter be revealed let immortality and eternal life henceforth be sealed upon your heads forever and ever amen what i just read for you sorry i need more diet coke reading revelations What I just read for you was the original manuscript of the Kirtland Revelation book. The church historical department has this record. And there is an excerpt of it also in in Sacred Loneliness, which you should buy. In August of 1842, we we have the earliest known references of the garments used in the Holy Order. Now remember, the Holy Order is a secret thing only afforded to a few people, and by August 1842, only men. The earliest reference to special undergarment um in the endowment reads for this date, quote, they have poured they have oil poured on them and then a mark or a hole cut in the breast of their shirts to keep the destroying angel from them and their families, end quote. From the eighteenth century to the eighteen forty, shirt referred to an undergarment which was often worn with a separate tight fitting underpant reaching to the knees. And this is all from Quinn's D Michael Quinn's The Mormon Hierarchy Origins of Power. I think it's on page 635 in the, in the book that I have. Meanwhile, all, you know, there's all these revelations and stuff going on, but tensions are mounting. Rumors are mounting. Joseph is accruing more power and more support and likewise more enemies. And he's also acquiring many women at this point and rumors are beginning to swell. So to combat this, Joseph calls and holds a special conference in Nauvoo. At that conference, 380 elders volunteered to travel nationwide to distribute um, a broadside, which was a two-page newspaper filled with affidavits and certificates in a massive, massive effort, like a PR effort to convince the public that Joseph was not a polygamist. Joseph, of course, is spearheading this endeavor, and it's one of his greatest efforts to deny he was practicing plural marriage. It was such a tremendous undertaking that uh, some people online were calling it a crusade. Joseph Smith would be arrested on August 8th by Missouri officials on charges that he had been an accomplice to assassinate the governor. He was released the same day, and then he went into hiding. So he goes into hiding in Iowa and then back in Nauvoo. So this is in August of 1842. So he's starting to get into more and more trouble not just for rumors now but um actual accusations there there's the nauvoo banking crisis that's that's happening there's um charges from women there's this huge assassination charge but joseph is released from his arrest by the nauvoo municipal court because joseph is in charge of nauvoo so he's running the city so it's interesting how this whole political thing is working. I would desperately encourage you to read D. Michael Quinn's uh, Origins of Power. It's fascinating. Upon returning to Nauvoo after in hiding, Joseph Smith recorded, quote, I advise the 12 to call a special conference on Monday next, August 29th, to give instructions to the elders and a a call upon them to go forth upon this important mission. Meantime, that all the affidavits concerning Bennett's conduct be taken and printed so that each elder could be properly furnished with correct and weighty testimony to be laid out before the public End quote on August 29th this huge you know crowd gathers at the grove near the temple for the conference near the close of Hiram's address Joseph who had not been seen in public for three weeks walks up to the stand there's a hush that falls over the crowd and he sits down. His sudden appearance is a huge surprise for many people. And there's speculation from the saints that he had gone somewhere important like Washington or, or Europe. Or others still think he was just in Nauvoo. After Hiram concludes this speaking, Joseph addresses the large congregation. He refers to the affidavits and certificates which he has been preparing by giving both a plea and a prophecy as he says... Quote, let the twelve send all who will support the character of the prophet, the Lord's anointed. And if all who go support my character, I prophesy in the name of the Lord Jesus, whose servant I am, that you will prosper in your missions. End quote. So, these 380 people go on their missions. They're going to go preach that, no, we're not about polygamy. Joseph is not a polygamist. Now, Joseph is doing this. He wants to run for president. He needs... Good PR around the country. That was at the end of August. At the first of September in 1842, Smith publishes some teachings against polygamy in the Times and Seasons. And of course, Joseph Smith was the editor at the time for the Times and Seasons. In the September 1st, 1842 issue, he writes All legal contracts of marriage made before a person is baptized in the church should be held sacred and fulfilled, inasmuch as this Church of Christ has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy. We declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman but one husband except in case of death when either is at liberty to marry again. He even goes so far to republish the same thing in the following October and um, have many of his trusted counselors sign it. In october first, eighteen forty two, the issue Times and Season. It restates this from Smith. All legal contracts of marriage made before a person is baptized into this church should be held sacred and fulfilled inasmuch as the Church of Christ has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy. We declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman but one husband except in case of death. When either is at liberty to marry again, it is not right to persuade a woman to be baptized contrary to the will of her husband, neither is it lawful to influence her to leave her husband. All children are bound by law to obey their parents and to influence them to embrace any religious faith or be baptized or leave their parents without their consent. Is unlawful parents and masters who exercise control over their wives, children, and servants and prevent them from embracing the truth will have the answer for that sin. Quote. And again, that was signed by 12 men and 19 women that states in part, quote, we know of no other ruler system of, of marriage than the one published in the Book of Doctrine and Covenants, which at the time was monogamous marriage. Some of the signers include Apostle John Taylor, who his wife was supposedly contacted, Apostle Wilford Woodruff, who had already been taught the doctrine of polygamy by Joseph Smith, Bishop K. Newell, who had performed a plural marriage ceremony, previous July for his own daughter and Joseph Smith in accordance with the revelation dictated by the prophet on the occasion that I read up, you know, a few minutes ago, Elizabeth Ann Whitney also signed it. She was witnessing one of the plural ceremonies, Sarah M Cleveland, who had become Joseph Smith's plural wife in 1842, Eliza R Snow, who was also married to Joseph on June 29th, 1842. So all these people had signed it. This is in October. And, you know, Eliza Snow married him in June of that year, and all these other people had been married. So, 14, 14 days later, this would also come out in the Times and the Seasons. He, Joseph wrote strongly against coveting other men's wives. Um, so, he, he writes, quote, And again, I command thee that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Which is basically a retelling of the 1830 revelation. According to some LDS authors, by the fall of 1842, Joseph um, was married to Mary Rollins, who was already married to another man, Adam Leitner. Zina Huntington, who was married to Henry Jacobs. And possibly other women that were married to other men. So despite Joseph's big campaign to say that he's not practicing plural marriage but 1843, there was much speculation amongst Nauvoo if Joseph was secretly practicing polygamy or not. More and more members are learning that the Twelve have these secret plural wives, because now Joseph's expanding the practice, and there's a saying that becomes popular, there cannot be so much smoke without some fire. So now it's February 21st, 1843. He spent the whole fall and summer trying to convince people he's not a polygamist. So the prophet goes to speak with those who are building the temple, a group uh, that were men and women, and that had heard the rumors. According to official church history, Joseph tells them, There is a great noise in this city, and many are saying there cannot be so much smoke without some fire. Well, be it so. If the stories about Joe Smith are true, then the stories of John C. Bennett are true about the ladies of Nauvoo. And he says the Ladies Relief Society are all organized of those who are to be the wives of Joe Smith. Ladies, you know whether this is true or not. It is no use living amongst hogs without a snout. This biting and devouring each other, I cannot endure away with it. For God's sake, stop it. End quote. And you can read that in the History of the Church, Volume 5, page 286. Joseph combats all of this. You know, he's saying these things now. He's condemning it, and his wives are confused. What do we do? And some of them reflect this in their journal that they feel really torn because he's also in, you know, I told you Emma's organizing this whole relief society to shut down these rumors, and these women that she's helping organize are some of Joseph's plural wives. So they feel really torn. And Joseph's playing this tricky dance now where he's saying, no, 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 no. When I say polygamy, polygamy is of the devil our our relationship is plural marriage, and that's of god it's it's this whole idea of they they did the same thing with masonry that there is masonry which was of the devil and secret combinations, but the temple endowment was like a higher form of masonry like higher um symbolically so That's how Joseph was couching this. But to combat all of what he's saying, he decides to bring these wives into the holy order. So not only now um, are they part of the secret, but they get this exclusive right. And that, I think, helps make them feel a little bit better about this whole campaign against uh, polygamy. So in 1843, he brings them in to discuss the higher things in the Holy Order. Many of these included the Quorum of the Twelve and their wives, including Mary Ann and Fanny Young, which was Brigham Young's widowed sister and wife. They met regularly for prayers and sermons and theological instruction and did other sort of spiritual exercises. Emma Smith did not attend or likely know of these meetings, but some of Joseph's plural wives did attend. Now, while this helps, you know, kind of ease the minds of those involved in, plural marriage, several members outside these circles begin to notice these secret meetings and these secret privileges and these secret societies. And they begin to complain about about them and, and whisper that they're abominable and that some strange things are happening in this office, in Joseph's office. According to Arrington, this is when the insiders start forming hostile campaigns against Joseph Smith. In April of 1843, There's a special conference that is held in Nauvoo. Joseph Smith challenges the members to accuse him directly of sin or to keep quiet. The Times and Seasons, May 1st of 1843, would publish this. President Joseph then asked the conference if they were satisfied with the first presidency, So far as he was concerned, as an individual, to preside over the whole church, or would they have another? If, said he, I have done anything that ought to injure my character, reputation, or standing, or have dishonored our religion by any means in the sight of men or angels or the sight of men and women, I am sorry for it, and if you will forgive me, I will endeavor to do so no more. I do not know that I have done anything of the kind, but if I have, come forward and tell me of it. If anyone has any objection to me, I want you to come boldly and frankly and tell of it, and if not, ever after, hold your peace, End quote. Another thing that's happening is Joseph Smith has William Clayton, who is his secretary, and William Clayton is constantly writing in his journals. We have a lot of primary source material from from William Clayton himself about his own plural marriages. We know that later on, Brigham Young would not trust William Clayton. He would not think he was competent. So I don't know what kind of character he had, but we do know that he learned of plural marriage at least by March 17th, 1843, when Joseph Smith told Brigham Young to give Clayton, quote, a favor, a favor, regarding priesthood instruction. The word favor in Clayton's journal refers to the granting of an additional wife. So Clayton is already married to Ruth Moon, and they were in their seventh year of marriage and had three children. The prophet personally visits him in the family Nauvoo home and suggests that Clayton participate in plural marriage. Margaret Moon, who is his legal wife's sister, becomes Clayton's first plural wife. And the marriage is recorded on April 27, 1843 three months before the plural marriage revelation is dictated by Joseph Smith. And we know that Clayton knows about it because he begins to officiate some of Joseph's other marriages and write about this in his journal. Now Hiram is let in on the secret, and he receives his endowment on May 26, 1843. Although his inner circle had known about it for some time, Joseph begins telling Hiram and Emma... About it. He starts prepping Emma for it. And every time he does this, anytime he brings up the subject, she flatly rejects it. She just cannot handle it. In fact, there's a quote about harsh measures being taken at one point, whatever that means, to calm Emma down because she is so upset about it. Joseph begins to reperform the endowment ceremonies for previously endowed men and for others who have accepted polygamy. So he wants Emma and Hiram to think that they are kind of the first people that know about this. So If some of the people in the secret order have already received their endowments, Joseph is going to go through the show of doing it again so Emma can be brought into this. Joseph and Emma would become the first couple sealed in marriage for eternity. This is done with a lot of ceremony and it makes it a big deal. Emma has a distinction of being the first but this also helps prepare for for the peace of mind that plural marriage is going to pay off for her too. But she doesn't accept the practice yet, so she's she's sealed to Joseph in May of tw- May twenty eighth, eighteen forty three. During the previous month, he had married as polygamous wife seventeen year old Lucy Walker, sixteen year old Flora Ann Woodworth, and fourteen year old Helen Mark Kimball. And so he's starting to really load up his plate. On July twelfth. Later on that summer, on July 12th, 1843, DNC and c 132 uh, would be dictated by Smith. He records it, and uh, Hiram asks Joseph to dictate it so he can write it down and use a seer stone. And Smith says, you know, uh, I don't need the seer stone, but I can do it from memory. So Hiram uses this written revelation. He brings it to Emma Smith to accept the practice, and I think that's where she is said to have thrown the revelation in the fire. But luckily, they had another copy. So she's sealed to Joseph as his eternal wife. He's got these plural, you know, plural marriages, but she's still not on board with plural marriage. In August of 1843, Smith tells his personal secretary William Clayton to get all the wives he can. And there's this great story in the book Nauvoo Polygamy by George Smith that talks about William Clayton going to England and falling in love with this woman that he brings on. Smith uh, would perform a marriage for his brother Hiram and Hiram's first plural wife and tells William Clayton, quote, you have a right to get all you can. He also reportedly said the results of our endless union will be offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven or the sands of the seashore. This causes a problem for Joseph Smith and Clayton. William Clayton had married two sisters, right? He has his wife and then her sister. And he desires to take on a third, uh, one of the youngest sisters, Lydia Moon. Clayton asks the prophet's permission, but Joseph says, No, 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 no. You can't marry Lydia Moon. I just had a revelation, um, and that is the revelation is you can only take two members of a family. You can only marry two from the family. Smith then asked Clayton if he would give Lydia to him. And Clayton says, I said I would so far as I had anything to do with it. He requested me to talk to her. So he says, I want to marry Lydia. And Joseph's like, no, 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 no. she has to be married to me because you can only have two to the family. That's the new rule in this revelation. So will you talk to her and see if she'll marry me? So Clayton does that, and Lydia Moon refuses Joseph Smith's offer because she wanted to tarry with her sisters, who were already Clayton's wives. Meanwhile, they're still working on Emma. Emma is really struggling with her principles. She vacillates between bitter refusals and really reluctant acceptance, You know, there are stories of a servant and I think a bodyguard that would stand outside her window or her door when she's having these discussions. And she just was so in anguish over it. She would say she would fly into these jealous rages and then she would become repentant when her salvation was threatened and say, no, 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 I'm so sorry. I wanted to be righteous. Please help me to accept this. Joseph is really trying to help her through this. So he rewards her with this second anointing. On September 28th, 1843, Joseph and Emma are the first couple to receive the second anointing in which each is anointed and ordained to the highest and holiest order of the priesthood. Now that practice reportedly still happens to the elite in our church. But... um, it was. It would become much more common back in that time, the second anointing. Joseph forbids it and the practice thereof. No man shall have but one wife. Meanwhile, that October, there becomes a problem. William Clayton, his secretary, is living the principle now. He discovers that his plural wife is pregnant. This is a disaster. These women are not supposed to get pregnant. This is complicated because no one is supposed to know she's married to him. And she is going to be, you know, her virtue is going to be put on trial. What are they going to do? Only a small few people know that she's pregnant. So Joseph Smith tells William Clayton not to worry about it. Assuming that if it comes out and it becomes necessary, they can excommunicate William Clayton. We'll say, oh, William Clayton, that was naughty. You should not be sleeping with your wife's sister. We'll excommunicate you if that happens, but we'll reinstate you. He tells Clayton, quote, just keep her, the mother and the baby, at home and brook it. And if they raise trouble about it and bring you before me, I will give you an awful scourging and probably cut you off from the church. And then I will baptize you and set you ahead as good as ever, end quote. And that comes from William Clayton's journal. Um, On November 1st, Joseph Smith republishes the Times and Seasons reprinting of the earlier 1831 revelation, which includes these commandments quote, Thou shalt not lie, he that lieth and will not repent shall be cast out. Thou shalt love thy wife with all thy heart, and shall cleave unto her and none else. And he that looketh upon a woman to lust after her shall deny the faith, and shalt not have the spirit. And if he reports not, he shall be cast out. Thou shalt not commit adultery, and he that committeth adultery and repenteth not shall be cast out. But he that hath committed adultery and repents with all his heart and forsaketh it and doeth it no more, thou shalt forgive, but if he doeth it again, that shall not be forgiven, but shall be cast out. Thou shalt not speak evil of thy neighbor, nor do, any harm, nor do him any harm. Thou knowest my laws concerning these are given in the scriptures. He that sinneth and repenteth not shall be cast out." Quote. And that would be volume 4, number 24. On November 2nd, Brigham Young's diary... Says, quote, Monday evening, baptized sisters Cobb and Harriet Cook. Two days later, after they're baptized, Joseph Smith marries them to Brigham Young. So now Brigham Young has three plural wives that we know about. Brigham Young reports the marriage of his sister to Joseph Smith in the Journal of Discourse on the same day. He writes, quote, I recollect a sister conversing with Joseph Smith on this subject of plural marriage. Joseph said, Sister, you talk very foolishly. You do not know what you will want. He then said to me, Here, Brother Brigham, you sealed this lady to me. I sealed her to him. This was my own sister, according to flesh. End quote. And we'll talk about that later when Joseph marries Brigham Young's sister. On November 5th, Smith becomes really sick. So all of this is happening. Emma is now accepted the practice she's what has happened is Joseph says okay please tell me what you want if you'll accept this practice and she says well I get to pick the women and he says okay pick the women and she says I pick two of the sisters that are living in our house and Joseph is like great Emma doesn't know that Joseph has already married those two sisters and we're going to talk about their stories in a little while but Emma says okay I'll do it and she is there at the ceiling so they so they redo the ceiling for Emma's sake so she thinks she's there witnessing the marriage not knowing that they had already been married to Joseph for I think 3 months I can't remember the exact thing. So Joseph's going through all of these things again. And by November he becomes violently ill at dinner. And he assumes there's evidence to suggest that he assumes that Emma tried to poison him. Um at the prayer circle meeting that evening Joseph Smith accuses her of poisoning his cup of coffee, and Brigham Young regards her shocked silence as proof of her guilt. And this starts to be some of the cracks, the major cracks in Brigham and Emma's relationship. Now, a lot of people, scholars say that since he got over it so fast, it was probably not poisoning, probably ulcers. Um, And you can imagine why Emma would be shocked to receive such an accusation. Emma also realizes that she is pregnant with her baby, David Hiram. Amidst all this tension, Joseph is really starting to see his role change. He begins to change his title. So instead of being the president of the church or the prophet or whatever they're calling him, he is anointed and ordained, quote, king, priest, and ruler over Israel on earth. So he starts calling himself the king, priest, and ruler over Israel on earth. He starts walking around in his, you know, um, general forms. he's carrying a saber with him now, he's wearing all of these medals and patches. According to D. Michael Quinn in Origins of Power, Smith becomes Mormonism's theocratic king. The kingdom's clerk, William Clayton, writes that during the April eleventh, 1844 meeting, was President Joseph Smith chosen as our prophet, priest, and king by hosannas? William Marks, who was president at the Coronation, later stated that the Council of 50 performed an ordinance in which Joseph suffered himself to be ordained a king to reign over the house of Israel forever. And a later revelation from the Council of the 50 affirms that God called Smith to be a prophet, seer, and revelator to my church and my kingdom, and to be the king and ruler over Israel. In detailed minutes of the same ceremony years later, the Council of the 50's standing chairman, John Taylor, was anointed and set apart as king, president, and ruler over Israel on the earth. In a veiled reference to Smith's kingship, Apostle Lyman White and Heber C. Kimball wrote in 1844, you are already president pro tem of the world. So they really believed Joseph was like the ruler of the earth. So he's really gaining power by this point amongst his followers. By 1844, 1843 was a huge year for Joseph with all this endowment, plural marriage, and bringing Emma into the principal. In 1844, legal tensions were high, and Smith had made a lot of enemies out of former friends. William Law, who was once Joseph's good friend, had increasing concerns over Joseph's sexual behavior. William Law files a complaint, a formal complaint, with Hancock County Circuit, accusing Joseph Smith of living in an open state of adultery with Maria Lawrence who was Smith's foster daughter and polygamous wife. Maria Lawrence was a teenage orphan, and we're going to talk about her later on, and she was living in the Smith household. And she was the one, Maria and her sister Sarah, were the ones that uh, were married to Joseph three months earlier, and then Emma gives them to Joseph later on. And Joseph was also the executor of their $8,000 estate. Now, these two sisters and that $8,000 estate, state would cause a lot of problems for Joseph Smith later on, and the church later on down the road. William was apparently hoping that, you know, accusing Joseph and exposing his relationship to these sisters would help him to abandon polygamy. But instead, Joseph Smith excommunicates law immediately and has himself appointed as a girl's legal guardian, too. So he's also their husband and their legal guardian, and rejects the the charge in front of the church congregation on May 26, 1844, denying that he has more than one wife. Joseph now gives a famous speech denying polygamy boasts that he has done more than Jesus Christ he says quote come on ye prosecutors ye false swearers all hell boil over ye burning mountains roll down your lava for I will come out of the top at last I have more to boast of than any other man I am only man I'm the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of adam a large majority of the whole have stood by me neither paul john peter nor jesus ever did it I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never run away from me yet. You know my daily walk and conversation. I am in the bosom of a virtuous and good people. How do I love to hear the wolves howl? When they can get rid of me, the devil will also go. On June 27, 1844, the first and only issue of William Law's Nauvoo Expositor. William Law starts his own newspaper, the Nauvoo Expositor. This is a huge, complicated history. You need to research the history of the Expositor by itself. Um, He publishes this copy, and it's got references to the 1843 Polygamy Revelation and to Joseph Smith's 18.4, Ordination of King on Earth. Smith is the mayor of Nauvoo at the time, and he orders the destruction of the press. He calls it a public nuisance. So even though Joseph Smith is in charge, they illegally destroy the press. They go and, like, you know destroy it literally destroy it which is illegal on and that's june 10th on june 18th smith declares martial law in the town gives the last public address to the nauvoo legion that he would give on june 20th joseph smith writes to the apostles tells them to destroy their garments and return to nauvoo so remember the apostles now are out on their missions trying to preach and teach that polygamy is not happening we got brigham young you know all these people that are that are already living polygamy so Joseph writes them on June 20th and says destroy your garments and get back to Nauvoo on June 23rd Smith tells William Clayton to burn the and bury the minutes of the council of the 50 and those are still considered pretty controversial and secretive today although I've heard that they're going to be pu- publishing excerpts from the council of the 50 minutes so there's much speculation there so he tells William Clayton to burn and destroy them and Joseph and Hiram flee Nauvoo and um, the word of them leaving causes panic amongst the followers. Um, he is accused of cowardly abandoning Navu, and he, some say that he struggles so much with the idea of being a coward because he leaves Navu, so he he returns at about 6 p.m. that night. He tells Stephen Markham that this is contrary to the revelation and commandment he has received, and Joseph and Emma burn the original manuscript of the 1843 polygamy revelation, presumably on the evening that William Clayton preserves a copy, which is later becomes canonized as D&C 132. And this is all from the History of the Church, volume 6, pages 548 to 550. Okay, On June 24th, Smith surrenders to civil authorities to stand for trial for riot and treason. Joseph rode down home twice to to bid his family farewell. He's solemn and thoughtful, and he expressed that he thinks he's going to be murdered. About 15 people take him to Carthage, and when opposite to the Masonic hall, Joseph said, Boys, if I don't come back, take care of yourselves. I'm going like a lamb to the slaughter. When they passed the farm, he took a good look at it, and after they looked past it, he turned around several times to look again. When Joseph said, if some of you had got such a farm and knew you would not see it anymore, you would want to take a good look at it for the last time. On June 27th, a large group of men approached Carthage Jail disguised with blackened faces. Smith at first assumes it's the Nauvoo Legion he is secretly ordered to rescue him. However, Major General Jonathan Durham has disobeyed orders, knowing that a prison escape would mean the annihilation of Nauvoo. Instead, vigilantes storm from the upstairs room, instantly killing Hiram and severely wounding Taylor. Joseph defends himself with a pistol. He kills two men. Then he jumps out the window and begins to shout the Masonic cry of, Oh, Lord, my God, there is no help for the widow's son. Is there no help for the widow's son? Masons in the crowd show no mercy and prop the semi-conscious Smith against a nearby wall and shoot him several times at point blank range. William Richards is the the only one not, not killed or severely wounded. Mormons immediately attribute this to the fact that he alone wore his undergarment given to the endowed persons. So Joseph was not wearing his garments when he was killed. He took them off. Earlier that morning, Joseph Smith had sent an order in his own handwriting to Major General Jonathan Durham to come in and save him. But he realized that that would be a disaster and result in two bloodbaths, one in Carthage and one when anti-Mormons and probably the Illinois militia would lay siege for Nauvoo. So to avoid civil war, he refuses to go and doesn't let Joseph Smith know. One of his lieutenants, a former Danite, later complained that Durham did not let a single mortal know that he had received such orders, so they were not happy with him. Before leaving Carthage, Stephen Markin listens as Smith says he has lost the spirit of God for disobedience, returning to Nauvoo. In 1858, Brigham Young would later say, quote, if Joseph Smith Jr., the prophet, had followed the spirit of revelation in him, he would have never gone to Carthage and never... For one moment, did he say that he had one particle of light in him after he started back from Montrose to give himself up in Navu. So what they're saying is Joseph lost a spirit, um, and that is why he was killed. So I've led you all up to the martyrdom. We're going to go back now with with some more of the wife stories, but I want you to know this chronology. Because as we're talking about these wives and their stories, you need to know this background. All of these things going on. There are revelations coming out. There are campaigns, anti-polygamy canes coming out. There are apostles practicing it. There are apostles failing at it. There are people being excommunicated. There are political things going on. It is not simple at all. It is not a straight and easy timeline. It's hard to make this a chronology because just like the branches of a genealogy tree branch out. This is exactly what's happening with these plural unions. So take all of this, listen to it again if you need to. It's a lot of information. Kind of sit with it and digest it. If I've butchered anything, please, please correct me in the comment section um, if I get my dates or anything mixed up. But I would encourage you all to read D. Michael Quinn's Um, origins of power for sure in sacred loneliness and amongst the Mormons, you can read both of Brigham Young's biographies. There is just so, so much good stuff out there. So much good history that you're missing out on. So if you have any questions, go ahead and leave them in the comment section at feminist Mormon housewives podcast. And thank you for listening.